just singing the praises of this body about how welcoming and friendly and loving we are. So good job on you guys. And man, we just pray that that is something that is a mark of this church forever. And uh, if you're new here this morning, if it's one of your first times, we pray you find us that way. And we just, we're, we're glad you're here. If you're our guest, we pray for you through the course of the week and really hope that God uh, speaks to you this morning. And, and that's for all of us. And so we're going through this uh, book of Luke, this gospel of Luke. And we've been at it for a while and we'll interrupt, you know, we'll do a few chapters at a time and interrupt. And two weeks ago, Pastor talked through Luke 9. And at the end, he gave us four points. <clears throat> at the end, it says, they were going along the road, Jesus and the disciples. Someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you will go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another he said, follow me, but he said, Lord, let me first go bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead, but it's for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. And the main point Pastor Bruce gave for that was that as disciples of Christ, as true followers of Jesus Christ, we are supposed to be all in no matter what. All in no matter what. And this is Jesus into his third year of his ministry. The cross is looming near uh, in his future. And he's getting down to the, the, bare, the bare bones of what it means to follow him. And as he taught the disciples ramping up to the, the, these critical moments, he taught them some things they needed to know, and he taught them some things they needed to be, but he's teaching them also things they need to do. And chapter 10 is a do passage. You know, the ability to manage priorities in life is a basic skill that we all hope to master, whether it's our Christian life, we want to manage those priorities well, our family, our friendships, our work, our fitness. We want, to, we want to take care of the most important things. Triage is a type of medical treatment where a crisis happens and there are so many people to deal with, the medical professionals have to prioritize what to take care of first. And of course, they're, they're looking for the most critical. So if you have a broken arm, you might be waiting for a long time if you're behind a lot of people who are not able to breathe because they have an obstructed airway or that they have super low blood pressure and they might be dealing with the threat of death because of internal bleeding. Those medical professionals in that super critical time are looking to manage those priorities. And you manage priorities at work, whether you're an engineer, a teacher, a lawyer, a police officer, a fireman, whatever you might do, you're managing priorities every single day and you're managing them, managing them in your home and with yourself. And we have to manage priorities like keeping here. This is gonna bother me, Jay, my friend. The other pulpit has a bottle holder on it. Thanks so much. It would have bothered you too, right? Yeah. Some of you wouldn't have been able to concentrate at all if I left that thing falling down on the ground down there. I know that because that's how I'd have been. 
So we manage priorities in all these different areas. And so Jesus is coming into the disciples' lives and into ours through his word with some priorities. And if you notice, the last thing he said there in chapter 9 was no one puts his hand to the plow and looks back. It's fit for the kingdom of God. No one who does the work of the kingdom and gets their eyes off of it onto other things is fitting in, is doing what I'm calling you to do, is, is on page with me. Let's get to work, he starts to say in chapter 10, and he has got work for them to do. I'm going to read uh, uh, first 20 verses here, and then I'm going to go through and unpack in kind of summary form what those instructions mean, what they mean for us, and what we can do about it. And if you're sitting here today, you're going to be challenged at the end with a response. You fit in here. No matter who you are in the room today, you fit in. So I hope you can listen as we read that the Word of God, the Spirit, teach, uh, instructs your heart and mind as we listen, and then as we go through this together this morning. So after this, after challenging them to be all in, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him two by two into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide for the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick in it and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to your feet, we wipe to our feet, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For the, if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more bearable in the judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You shall be brought down to Hades. The one who hears you hears me, and the one who rejects you rejects me, and the one who rejects me, rejects the one who sent me. The 72 returned with joy saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice in that your names are written in heaven. So there's quite a bit to unpack here. And I, I want to take you through it as well as we can here in the short time that we have. Uh, I hope it's super helpful to you. I know as I uh, studied this with a friend a few years ago and with some others and then this week, it's very encouraging and challenging to me. So I hope you can find it just as, as much because God really has something for us to say here. And the first thing that I see in this passage from verses 1 through 5 is that Jesus is esteeming very high 
some work to do and the priority of that work. And the priority is the gospel. We have a mission to be on with him, he's telling us, and it's share the gospel. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Go. Behold, I'm sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, peace be to this house. So people are sent out to pray. These disciples are being sent out to preach the gospel. And he says in verse 2, to pray uh, for laborers to go into the harvest field. And we know about that verse. It's very, very familiar to us. Uh, I have a friend that uh, I meet with pretty regularly, and he talks to me about prayer requests and how prayer requests are not just go away and, you know, say a prayer. They are invitations by the Spirit of God for you to respond practically if you're able. And in this case, Jesus is saying, hey, pray for laborers, but also be a laborer. Because verse 3, he says, go your way. He doesn't tell them just pray, and that's where it ends. Pray for the laborers, because you know what? The harvest is large. It's, it's vast. It's beyond uh, what we currently are capable of taking care of, so we need you to go. It's beyond what you're capable of, so pray for more workers as you go to share the gospel. It's a big job. It's a huge priority. It's what God wants us to do. And he, notice he says, you know, before he even trains them, because he's about to give them some training, go. He puts that ahead, go. And I think that's kind of significant because one of the things that keeps us maybe from sharing our faith is feeling like I'm not up to it. These guys must have felt that too. And yet Jesus sends them anyway. He's telling them to go. And he says a few other things in here. He says, uh, after he says go, he says, I'm sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. The work's going to be hard. It's, not, it's challenging. It's difficult. It's counter to comfort. It's, it's hard work. To the extent that you mean well for people but the people you are sharing with potentially mean you harm. Go in with your eyes wide open. This is gospel work, and it's going to be hard. And then he continues, carry no money bag or knapsack or sandals or greet no one on the road. What is he saying there? Trust what I've provided you. Trust the gospel. Paul said that it's the power of God to salvation. The gospel is the power. The message that Jesus gives is the power in you. It's not your skill. It's not your preparation, though you should be prepared. I think sometimes we overestimate the need to be prepared. And we delay our sharing because we don't feel like we qualify. Jesus says something different. He says, go out Trust me, I'm going to take care of you. Trust what I've provided. 
And what are you going to do? You're going to enter a house of peace, a house, and the first thing you say is, peace be to this house. Here's why. Because the gospel is a message of peace. It's not a message of judgment, though it's perceived that way, and it's super unfortunate, and maybe we're to blame as Christians for that. Because the way I was trained originally in the 80s to share my faith was to just walk up to somebody and say, if you died today, do you know you'd go to heaven? And we're talking about heaven and hell from the get-go. And it was acceptable maybe in earlier times. It's a little bit different now, and the perception by people who don't know Jesus uh, received that a little bit different. The message here and the message we bring is one of peace. Listen to Romans 5, verse 1. Paul wrote to us and said, Therefore, since we, we Christian people, we've been justified by faith. We've been rendered just. We were in a position of guilt before God at one point. We, put, we turned from our doing life our own way and turned from our sin and put our faith in Jesus Christ. And in doing so, we were justified. We were put in a position of guilty to innocent. So we were justified by faith. And we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. When we are in that position before God and we're guilty, we know it. We don't feel peace. We feel stress. We feel disconnection. But when we come to God through, through Jesus, we feel the peace. The hostility is gone. We are no longer hostile towards God and we no longer sit under his judgment. We have peace. And so the first thing we want to bring to somebody is peace. And if the son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him, but if not, it will return to you. And so we are called to have this, this priority to bring a message from God, a message of salvation. When Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, no man comes to the Father but through me, we bring that message, and we bring it with love, and we bring it with peace. That's really the second priority. As we are esteeming the gospel, we have to do it relationally. There's a relational priority Jesus is talking about here. If a son of peace is there, what does that mean, by the way? A son of peace. When the, in this culture, when you called somebody a son of something, that means that they had the characteristic of. So if somebody is peaceful, if they're receptive, if they're, if, if they're taking the message that you have, your peace will rest on them. But if not, it will return to you. Verse 7, and remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide for the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. What does that mean? Because that's a little confusing. That's a little different than what we might be used to. Itinerant preachers would visit homes in towns, and they would share a message. They would share an instruction, and they would get paid for it in the home. Some guys, as you could well imagine, were motivated by just the payment and not the ministry. And so they would want to get in, fix it, get out, and take their money and go. Jesus is saying, nope, take your time, be focused on what you are there to give, not on what you are there to receive. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Take your time. A meal takes time. Be relationally invested. Take time. We have to be able to do that. And I think in this day and age, the stuff I read about, how do we evangelize in the modern era, it always is coming to relationship, is being someone who's communicating the love of God through how you behave as well as the words you share. 
Stay as long as you're welcome. Linger. Don't be concerned about your next assignment. Stay where there's peace, where there's receptivity. Our superintendent on this building, his name is Eric, and he's one of the best listeners, if not the best listener I've ever, ever interacted with. And he's a Christian guy, so it doesn't matter if you're talking to, you know, so how are things today, Jim? He listens, 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 and listens some more. If it's about the building, he listens. He's just a great listener. I know great listeners. Uh, Bruce and Gregory are tremendous listeners, and I I know that if I have a concern, they're going to take their time. But Eric is so comfortable with silence. He just mulls over and listens. He's super comfortable with silence. It's weird, right? So like it's weird. We're not used to it. I'm not either, but I'm I'm trying to learn. And that that relational care, that relational time, you know what that is? It's honoring. It makes me feel like he cares more about what I'm going through, what I think, what I have to say than what he's thinking or is waiting to say. And he has great things to contribute, but he's patient and he waits. That's how we need to be. There's this relational priority. Really care so much. Verse 9. Heal the sick in it and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. Heal the sick. Who in here is authorized to heal the sick? I want your phone number. Jesus authorized this set of disciples to do miracles. He has not authorized us to do that. But he has authorized us to do two things that make the same kind of difference in our context. The first thing is pray for. When somebody you know that does not know Jesus has a need, and it's a deep need, to offer to pray for them is a blessing. They might not want it when everything's fine, but when, when there's a need in their lives, they're blessed by the prayer. There's another thing you can do. If they have a practical need, meet it if you can. Maybe they're struggling financially and just going out to lunch is something that is a luxury for them. Take them to lunch. Maybe they ask you to pray for them because in a month they're moving and you pray, but then you check your schedule hoping you have something else to do. Right? Because moving's hard. At least for me, I made a commitment after I was 35 that I never wanted to move again. So, <laughs> moving is just hard. And take really care. And then the other thing in this relational connection is be willing to let process happen. When I was <clears throat> in Bible college, we were taught how to evangelize, and it was always urgent. And I get that because there is a tremendous amount of urgency here. But it was like, share the gospel with them because it's so hard, and get them across the line because you don't know if you, when you walk away, they don't drive, get in a car accident, and die. And some of you probably have heard that before, but here's just a little flaw with that. And I agree with the urgency side, but there's just a little flaw. We're not trusting Jesus in that. Jesus is saying, my job is to get them across the line. And sometimes... Especially now, because receptivity in our culture is just declining, declining, declining. People need to know that we love them. And that's going to take time. And so we need to have that gospel priority. And within, how do we do that? We're going to have a relational priority 
that is dependent on Jesus and loving the person for who they are, respecting them, listening to them, honoring them. Then after that, he shares a a portion of scripture. It's a little bit uh, confusing because there's some cultural context here that doesn't necessarily fit how we behave in 2018 in America. But the core of this message, I think we can latch onto. Listen to it again, verse 10. But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Woe to you, Chorazin, woe to you, Bestadia, for if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more bearable in the judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You shall be brought down to Hades. The one who hears you hears me, And the one who rejects you rejects me. And the one who rejects me rejects him who sent me. This is Jesus talking about the eternal priority. To have eternity, like Leonard Ravenhill encouraged us to pray. Leonard Ravenhill prayed, Lord, stamp eternity on my eyeballs. We need to see our eternity, how our life fits into eternity through what's going on, but how the world and the people we encounter and the people around us, the people in our family, the people we work with, our friends, we need to see them in light of eternity. And Jesus is saying eternity is so critical. There's a harvest field and it's only able to be harvested for so long. And there's people out there who are on the brink of eternity, and they don't know it. And the truth of Scripture is that once we die, the decision time is over, and we're either on our way to heaven to be with God for eternity and glory, to experience his peace and its fullness, or we are on on our way to death and to experience punishment in its fullness. And he's communicating here that when we share with somebody and they don't receive our message of peace, we need to lovingly give them a message of warning that says, just so you know, what's on the line here is heaven or hell. We have to give that warning. Love warns. Somebody shared with me this morning that they have a family member who's got cancer. What if the doctor didn't tell the patient but the family knew, and they just let it go. They never told the, the, the person with the cancer, the doctors didn't, and the family didn't, and he's dying. How many of us would think that was love? We give hard diagnosis in life. We give warnings of prohibition in life and of future consequences in life not because we're judgmental and not because we aren't filled with love, but because we do love. Indifference is unloving. Denial is unloving. And so we give somebody a message of peace and they don't receive it and we let them know that there are consequences to that and just so you know, there's, these consequences are real and if I could ever talk to you again, I'd love that opportunity.
you'll leave that door open. This um, warning from Jesus isn't a write-off. It's, 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 a, it's a message of gravity. The hope is that they would get the warning and receive the message, even if it's at a later date. And so we have to be open to that. We have to understand eternity is on the line. If, if we could be... <clears throat> If we could be the, that kind of messenger, we have to be willing to do that. We have to be willing to give the warning because so much is on the line. In verse 16, look what it says there again. It says, the one who hears you, hears me, and the one who rejects you, rejects me, and the one who rejects me, rejects him who sent me. Why is that there? Well, the first thing is, even though it's hard, and I'm gonna admit to you, this is hard. The rejection's not personal. When we share that message of peace, when we try to help people understand that Jesus Christ is their savior, that he loves you, that he will forgive you, that he will grant you an eternal home in heaven, that's his message. We're just delivering it. And so when it gets rejected, they're, like he says, like Jesus himself said here. But I think there's an element of there that is saying it's worth rejection because eternity's on the line. You know, for a couple years back, I was working in the student ministries uh, for three, it ended up being three years. And the constant, it's very, the most consistent reason I got for friends having a hard time, or kids from a youth group having a hard time inviting friends from school because they felt like what was on the line was losing friends. And that's an important thing in high school, by the way. I'm not criticizing that. I get that, I understand it. What Jesus is saying here is we need to be willing to risk, possibly risk friendship, because while friendship's important, heaven and hell are more important. Eternity's on the line, and it's a priority. It's something we've got to keep in mind. And then in 17 through 20, Jesus says, the 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. And commentators don't know exactly what that means, but in some way or another, it means Satan was judged, that he was punished. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. How cool would that be? We like being involved in the, the exciting and the fun things of Christianity, right? What if I could have you walk up here and tell you that if you, uh, if, if you shake my hand here today, uh, in the summer of 2018, only today, if you, if you could shake my hand, you would have this kind of power. That you could tread on scorpions. You know all those scorpions around Huntington Beach? <laughs> you, can, you could tread on scorpions and not be hurt. Handle serpents and not be hurt. What if you could do that? Wouldn't that be awesome? If God gave us that kind of power. The focus isn't the power. In fact, all that stuff, even some of that stuff that we might want, was secondary because he says, nevertheless, do not rejoice in this miraculous power. Don't rejoice in the exciting things that might happen in your Christian faith. They're secondary. Rejoice in this, that your names are written in heaven. Because that's the message we are bringing, and that is the message our lives are supposed to bring, our words are supposed to bring. And it's, it, it's, it's the gospel 
And it's so easy to get distracted away from having that as a constant, continual, consistent mindset as followers of Jesus Christ. I am convinced that in my own life and in every life of anybody who follows Jesus Christ, that there is a constant draw away from being agents of the gospel. It's probably fueled by the enemy, but there's just a draw. There's, every time we go to share the gospel, there's something within us that brings resistance. And Jesus knows this. He knew it here, and he knows it now. And he's saying, don't be distracted. For sure, don't be distracted by the bad stuff. You know, the Bible keeps us away from being sinful in so many different ways because it's a distraction. It kills our credibility for sharing the gospel and it may create within us such a distraction that we neglect to do it as well. But if you notice here though, he's saying, hey, here's some really cool Christian things. Those things can be a distraction too. The cool, fun, exciting, interesting things we do as Christian people in church, outside of church, it could be fellowship, worship, miracles, knowing the Bible more, all those things that can pour into what it means to be a Christian and into church life and everything, they may be good things, but they're secondary to the gospel. I have a friend here, and we meet quite a bit, and he's super burdened for homeless people and just ministers to them and is trying to pull us into ministry with homeless people and we've done some of the stuff together that has been prompted by him. But I, don't, I, I always ask this question though. What's, where's the gospel in it? If we're gonna do community service, where's our platform or our permission? Where's the welcome mat for the gospel? What are we gonna do to put the gospel into it? Because otherwise, especially when it comes to community service stuff, which the Bible says we should do, whether it's homeless people or other, uh, other avenues, when it comes to doing those kind of things, what are we doing different than the world if we don't bring the gospel? Why should we spend time, energy, effort, or money doing what the world can do? Jesus called us to a priority of the gospel. And why is he repeating it? Because it's important. We repeat the things in life that are important. We emphasize them. And we don't, we don't only do it for emphasis, we do it for importance. It's a super important part of what, I think it's priority number one. In John 17, Jesus was praying to the Father and he said, just like you sent me into the world, I'm sending these into the world. Jesus came into the world to redeem it. And he's sending his followers into the world with a message of redemption. And if we miss that, we've missed everything. So he repeats a priority for the gospel. And so like I said at the beginning, you have a response this morning. Whoever you are, and if you are um, a disciple of his, I can only see two responses really starting up in chapter nine, but I, I really see these in my own life. I'm either someone who shares the gospel or who is stalling. Jesus is calling us to be people as a characteristic who share the gospel. I have a very close friend who came to me, he goes to a different church, and he came to me uh, 
a while back, and he's got a teenage son and a teenage daughter, and he's asking me, you know, uh, I'm, I'm, I struggle to know if they're genuinely saved, you know, can you talk to them? So I thought that was key. And I go, well, what are you doing? What, like, how are you sharing with them, you know, how important you think it is for them to be saved? Because I don't think anything should be more important than a Christian parent. Priority number one in your house should be your kids getting saved, right? I'm, I'm right on that. That one's pretty easy. And he goes, you know what? I don't do much. All I do is try and put them in front of people who will share a good message with them. So basically, he drops them off at church. And I asked him this question. That's a super important question. I said, have you ever shared with them your story? And I, I was with him in the season of life where he got converted. And he told me no. And I thought to myself, why would you wait for something so important that will make such a difference? Because our personal testimony is an awesome tool for sharing the gospel especially with the people we live with, if they can see our lives and see how it's changed. In 1 Peter 3.15, we're told to share the hope that lies within you. The hope that lies within you is, like Jesus said in that passage, he says, tell them that the kingdom of God has come near. Well, how has it come near? Through you, through what Jesus has done in you. And you should be willing, and really you need to be ready to share that message. And a testimony we've heard is, uh, you know, if you've heard any brief training on that at all, is your life before Christ, how you came to Christ, and your life after. And it's not that hard to share, and you can prepare a three to five minute testimony in short order in your own head, or even write it out and just kind of get it ready. But on, real quick, it would sound something like, you know, uh, I started going to church when I was 16 years old. I went because... I didn't like some of the stuff I was doing, like I had a really bad anger problem. And I thought I could get some help at church. Plus, I knew God was real, but he wasn't real to me. So I went to church, and after about six months of hearing the gospel and stuff, it didn't really ring in, true in my head until I went to summer camp. And where I thought God was there, but he wasn't real to me, I learned there he could be real to me. And I, I prayed to receive Christ when I was 16 years old. And since that time, God's changed me. My anger problem is basically gone. And the best part of knowing Jesus Christ is knowing that no matter what happens down here, I have confidence that I have a home in heaven one day because of Jesus Christ. And that's my testimony, very summarized, but you can prepare something like that. And I want you to know something about why that is so critically important in 2018. Because sharing stories, your story, is more well-received these days than a technical outline of a Bible people don't really believe in. But they can see you changed. And they can't argue with your story. So be willing to share that. And we want to help you share. We had in the spring, we had an evangelism training. And we'd love to help you uh, learn how to share your testimony and a gospel message. And I think one of the main reasons why uh, people don't share is they just don't feel adequate. So we want to help you feel adequate. 
So on your connection card today, when the offering comes by later, please put it in there. If you'd like that training, just write your name and write a note on there that just says, train me. We haven't scheduled a training yet, but we have a volunteer who's willing and able to help you with that. And we want to help you feel confident in your ability to present the gospel. So you're going to either share or stall, but you may be sending or training. That's what Jesus did. Jesus, in this past, this is before he went. He sent and trained. Now look, he's leading people to be agents of the gospel by going. This is not an out. This is not an exchange for going because he himself is about to go. But part of being agents of the gospel is, is praying for laborers to go into the harvest field. It's going, so and it's going. But it also could be training and sending because here's what happen, happens, and Pastor Bruce will allude to this all the time. After we've been Christians for a, a good while, we get to the place where we primarily hang out with other Christians, and so it's harder and harder to have those avenues to share our faith. The first place we should be just dedicated to sharing our faith is obviously in our family. Where else do you find people to share with? In your neighborhood, at work, at school. But if, beyond that, we want to be helping other people bring people to Jesus. I know someone in this church has three sons, and her dedication, her dedication to her kids bringing their friends to church and effectively the gospel is amazing. And I can't count uh, factually, but I would bet that between those three sons, this lady has driven in her car over 30 kids to some church event or another. And what is she doing by doing that? She's she didn't invite them, her kids invited them. She's training them, be agents of the gospel. In our, in our D group, there's a set of accountability questions, and one of them is, did you share the gospel with anyone this week? And so we want to be perpetuating the gospel among one another. And I just think we need to talk about it a little more and be willing to be those people who encourage it in others as well as ourselves. So the disciples are sharing or stalling and Jesus is sending and training. What about the people who are being shared with? You heard it. They're receiving or rejecting. They're receiving a message of peace that will result in peace with God for eternity or they're rejecting it that will result in punishment for eternity. And that's it. They're re receiving or rejecting. And if you are in the room today and, and you've yet to ever make a commitment to the gospel, for me, I was 16 years old. I was in 1980. And I'll never forget it. It was real. It was a transaction. I went from being one thing to another. I went from being lost to being saved. I went from being spiritually dead to spiritually alive. I went from being hostile towards God to being in a loving relationship and at peace with God. I went from being insecure about eternity to having the hope of a future with God that would last forever in his glory. So if I can invite you to bow your heads and close your eyes and wherever you're at on that spectrum of response, 
as I studied and as I present this lesson, I have in my mind that I think the Spirit of God has put there people I need to share with. Maybe you do too. Will you commit as a follower of Christ to be an agent of the gospel? Will you get to work? Will you share in his priority? Will you be somebody who will share even if it costs you something? Will you saturate your life with the idea of the gospel to the extent that you would perpetuate it going out by prayer, if possible, training, as simple as teaching your kids to invite their friends to church and sending? And if you don't know Jesus this morning, would you pray a simple prayer that sounds something like, dear God, I'm trying to live my life on my own away from you, I'm doing my own thing. I have sin in my life and I need your forgiveness. Please forgive me today. Come into my life and be my Lord and my Savior. Change me. Thank you for giving me a home in heaven. We so desperately wish that for you and I wanna pray for you now. And if you have a response of any kind, I'd invite you to put it on a connection card. If you pray that prayer this morning, let us know if you prayed it for the first time. If you want training, write on that card, train me. We wanna help you share the gospel in a confident, competent ways where you can make a difference the way you know Jesus wants you to. So God, we thank you for for your word and the difference it makes in our lives and for your spirit that encourages us and empowers us and challenges us. May we be followers of you in the way that we are learning this morning. Help us to be people who esteem that gospel priority above all the secondary considerations of this world. And Lord, for those who don't know you, we pray today would be the day where they, like me, maybe they know you're real, but today you become real to them instead of a distant perception. We can't do anything good without you, Lord, so just be in our lives and draw us to you in these ways and empower us and use us for your glory and make Cross Point not just a place of the gospel, but a people of the gospel. We thank you for letting us participate in that mission with you. In Jesus' name, amen.